0: All right. Let's talk about Isaiah. And it is just going to get so exciting today, you guys. It is not... Well, yeah, it is. It's a whole bunch of death, doom, and destruction. But that's not what we're going to camp on. Um, we're going to camp on some other cool things. So we are in Isaiah chapter 22. And... um, we start to get a little look at the way Isaiah wrote out, the, the way this whether Isaiah wrote this whole thing, or whether these were things that Isaiah said and somebody copied them down, or whether they were a combination of the two. We're going to get a little bit of that business today where Isaiah is talking and then he talks to himself. Oh man, that was not good. That wasn't good. And then he's going to talk and then he, oh, it was, it was, it was, and, and you're going to get this. And it's not marked anywhere. There's no clear, this is where he's prophesying, this is where he's talking to himself. So I might say it a couple times. Get a good commentary, get a good study Bible when you read Isaiah. Look at those footnotes, and it'll, it'll help make sense of it. So anyway, Isaiah chapter 22, verse 12. He says, In that day the Lord God of hosts called for weeping and mourning, for baldness and wearing sackcloth. The Lord said, I want you guys to be really upset. I want you to be really sad. And that's weird. Why would God want us to be sad? Well, he he wanted them to be sad because they were sinning terribly. They were doing some really awful stuff. And God wanted them to acknowledge that. God wanted them to, he he's saying, "You guys, you are doing wickedness. Repent, quit this. Be be upset, be sad about it." Uh, later on in in Isaiah, he's going to say, um, "You're so shameful. You've forgotten how to blush. Like you do shameful things that are really embarrassing, and you don't even respond. You don't even. You're you're so hardened." And so here he's saying. The Lord called for weeping and mourning. Uh, The baldness is shaving your head out of grief. Like, I am so sad, I'm going to shave my head as a sign. You know, Job goes out and rubs dirt in his hair and, and sits on the ash pile and all that to show he is grieving. But behold, verse 13, joy and gladness, the killing of oxen, slaughtering of sheep, eating meat and drinking wine. They say, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. So Isaiah, God said through Isaiah, repent, turn back. You know, uh, in James, it says, grieve, mourn and wail, repent, turn. And they wouldn't have any of it. They wouldn't do it. And instead, they're like, hey, we're dead. We're going to die. Let's party. And. That, is just, that just makes it worse, right? If, if they would have done nothing, they would have at least done nothing. But instead, they did the opposite. And so verse 14, The Lord of hosts has revealed himself in my ears. Surely this iniquity will not be atoned for you until you die. So this is so severe of, of sin that these people are doing that, that they're on a path that they will never repent from. They're never going to repent from this. And there's no amount of offerings. There's no amount of of things that they could do to turn away the punishment of this. This iniquity will not be atoned for ever until until you're dead. That's the state of the world when Isaiah is talking to these people. They are so rebellious. They are so hard-hearted. Remember back in Isaiah chapter 6? And he said, "Go and preach to these people, and they're not going to listen. Talk to, they're going to see, and they won't. You'll show them stuff, and they won't see it. You'll say stuff to them, and they won't understand. Otherwise, they would. If they if they would understand, they would turn and be healed. But I know they're not. They're just going to give up. And that's what all these people are doing. Uh, Isaiah is just trying to get them to convert, just trying to get them to lean on the Lord. So." There are a bunch of prophecies about you're not going to do it, and so the land's going to be laid waste. This place is going to be destroyed. This place is going to be destroyed. And, and um, we've read some of those, and we're going to skip over some today. But we're really going to nestle down into Isaiah 22, because the way Isaiah kind of conveys these things, I think applies to us too. And it's, it's really wild. So he starts off, uh, this is Isaiah 22:15. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Go to Shebna, who's over the household, and say to him, What have you to do here, and whom have you here, that you've cut out a tomb for yourself? You cut out a tomb on the height, and you carve a dwelling for yourself in the rock. So Isaiah is going to this guy and saying, What's the, What business do you have building a tomb here? You don't belong here. So a tomb would be carved in a a cave. It'd be like a little they they would, you know, maybe there's already a cave there and then they just add on to it. Maybe they would actually cut it into the rock from scratch. And it would be a place where for generations your family is going to be laid in that same spot over and over and your bones as your body decays and your bones are left, all your bones are going to be put back in an ossuary in the back. And then all the new newly deceased people are going to be in the front. And um so we're out, you know, we're out at the cemetery this week on Wednesday. And whenever we go to St. Joe's cemetery, my kids, they're not tired of it yet. They don't give me the big sigh. But we go where we can see their great-great-grandparents and their grandparents and their and you know, this whole line of people, and they're all and then you always look up on the hill and you're like, gosh, who is all that? What is all that business? And then you go up there and it says rights, and you're like, oh, rights, okay. So rights high school. F.J. Wright's Memorial High School, the Wright's home. I mean, those people, they had the money to buy that high hill if they got, you know, they build two high schools. We can let them be up on the hill, right? That's cool. They can have that spot. Well, what if you went up there and it said, you know, Smith? And there's nothing in town built by Smith, and who cares about Smith and nobody knows who he is? What right does he have to have the highest spot? Out of Saint Joe Cemetery. That's what's going on here. So Isaiah is going to this leader who's led all the people away from the Lord. Who is the uh, the, the over the household? He's over the king's household, over the you know the, the kingdom where it, where it all begins. Kind of like the guy in charge of the White House. You know he's in charge, and he has carved out this place to be buried as a memorial in this notable place. And he's saying, you don't belong here. Why have you, why have you carved this tomb? That's what, that's what that's about. So then verse 17, he says, here's what's going to happen to you. The Lord will hurl you away violently. He will seize firm hold on you, whirl you around and around, and throw you like a ball into a wide land. There you shall die. There shall be your glorious chariots, chariots, you shame of your master's house. I will thrust you from your office and you will be pulled down from your station. So it was a big deal to the Jewish people in this day of where you would be buried. You know, this is kind of like, uh, I want my ashes sprinkled in the outfield of Wrigley Field kind of thing. You know, I want to be buried in this certain... I, I don't want that, but just say. Um People want to be buried in a certain place. So this guy, since he's ruler over Jerusalem, he's ruler over the household of the king, wants to be buried here. And Isaiah is saying, you're going to be spun around and flung like a ball into a field. Nothing precise, nothing with any direction. Nobody's going to remember you. There's not going to be any honor of you. There's not going to be any memorial of here is where you are buried that people can come and visit you're just going to be like a ball thrown off in a field. That's pretty serious, right? If, if where you are buried is like your memorial and you think you're so awesome that you should have you know, one of these giant, insane, huge tombstones. Um, but no, you're just going to, be, you're going to be pulled out of power. That's what he says to him. So then Isaiah tells this guy how it's going to happen. In that day, this is verse 20, I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah. I will clothe him with your robe. Oh, I will bind your sash on him. I will commit your authority to his hand and he will be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. So basically, Isaiah is saying, I'm taking one of your enemies and he's going to wear your robes. He's going to wear your suits He's going to wear your authority. He's going to sleep in your bed. He is going to rule in your place. Oh, now you know how this guy, this would make this guy really angry, right? I will commit, he'll be the father of the inhabitants. This is a cool one, verse 22. I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. He shall open and none shall shut. And he shall shut and none shall open. So the house of David is the line of kings, the kings of Israel, the kings that reign in Jerusalem. And remember, there's other prophecies that the Messiah is going to come and sit on David's throne. So we don't know which one of you it's going to be, but somebody in the line of David is going to be the Messiah, the king. And so he's going to have authority. They used to... uh, keys. Used to be huge things. I I tried to borrow my kids' nunchucks, but they disappeared. So now we should all be afraid. But um, if you could imagine, you know, something about this long, on a rope or a string or a chain, and for the for multiple reasons, they would have these giant keys and they would throw them over their shoulder. And so if I was walking and the archaeologists have found pictures of this and descriptions of this, you know how um, the jailer has a big old key ring on his hip? Or the school janitor has the big old thing? What is that? That's multiple purposes here, right? Some of it is authority. If you show up at a school and you want to get in somewhere, who do you want to find? Do you want to find the person with the pencil behind their ear or the person with the big old thing of keys on their hip. You want that key, person. So back in this day, part of, part of it was security. Where is the key? Where, you know, where is the key to the city gate? Where is the key to the door of the, um, you know, the king's quarters? If you have it in plain sight over your shoulder, you know where it is. So that serves as a security measure. But it also serves as an authority measure. Because if I'm walking around and I have the keys to the gate, to the city wall, to the king's chambers, the king really trusts me, right? And so they would wear these on their shoulder, like as a sign of authority and for security purposes. So God says, I'm going to place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. So it's not, you know, you're going to hold the keys. It's he will have the authority to decide who goes on David's throne of who's going to be the Messiah, who's going to lead to the Messiah. That's a pretty big deal. Jesus talked about the keys. This is the same kind of cultural idea when Jesus said, this is in um, Matthew 16. Jesus is talking to Peter and the disciples and he said to them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I tell you, you are Peter. On this rock I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. When he said to Peter, I give you the keys, it wasn't, you know, Uh, You better be nice to Peter, because he's got the secret way to get in, right? Or, you know, it's not like the movies that Peter had some secret words that he would say. It was, Peter, I'm giving you authority over the church. I'm going to leave, and there's going to be disciples, and there's going to be apostles. And I am putting you in charge. This is the same conversation as, do you love me, feed my sheep? That Jesus would have after he rose from the dead. I'm giving you authority, Peter. I'm putting you in charge. It's mom leaving to go to the grocery store and saying to David, here is the key, the front door. I'm putting it by the front door, right? You have authority to open or close this front door when some stranger comes and knocks. It's an authority thing. So God says that through Isaiah to this leader. You're a leader. You're doing this. You built a tomb. You're leading all the people astray. Dude, you're going to be thrown out in some field somewhere. Nobody is going to have any idea where you got buried. And I'm going to replace you with this other guy. And this other guy is going to so replace you. He's going to wear all your robes. He's going to sleep in your bed. He's going to eat all your food. And, uh, and he's going to rule. So you might think right at that moment, oh, God must really like this guy that he's replacing the other guy with. No. Just because God is putting somebody into power to replace this other guy doesn't mean that God likes this guy. So now listen to this. Verse 23. I will fasten him like a peg in a secure place And he will become a throne of honor to his father's house. That sounds good, right? He's going to make him like a peg in the wall. And he's going to sit on his throne and honor his father's house. Okay. Um, They will hang on him like you would hang on a hook. The whole honor of his father's house, the offspring, issue, every small vessel, everything that they have. All the treasures of the kingdom are going to be hanging on this guy and And they're going to give him the credit for all of the great things, all their prosperity. Verse 25. In that day, declares the Lord of hosts, the peg that was fastened in a secure place will give away. It'll break. And it will be cut down and fall. And the load that was on it will be cut off. For the Lord has spoken. So the Lord, there's this guy, he's leading all the people astray. God is has been telling Isaiah, through Isaiah, for 20, 20 some odd chapters now. Repent, turn to the Lord, repent. And the guy isn't repenting. So God says, okay, I'm going to replace you with this other guy. And this other guy is going to get all your riches and all your stuff and all your credit and all your memorial and everything. And he's going to be like a peg that I stick in the wall. And all the people, and this is God's not saying this is how he wants it to be. He's just saying, here's how it's going to happen. Who does God want us to trust in? God wants us to trust in God. Who does God want us to give his glory to? He wants us to give glory to God. But all the people are going to hang all of this king's glory on this king. All the good things that happen to him. All right. Crazy construction moment with me, if you will. In Israel, they would build houses and they'd be built out of stone, or they would be built out of wood, and then there would be like dirt and mud would make the walls and that kind of thing. And if you wanted to put a hanger on the wall to hang stuff, say you've got this stone wall, you chip, 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 <laughs> and you stick a peg in that wall, in that stone, you damage the wall. And that peg is just going to kind of sit there in that stone. If you've got your mud, your mud glaze, concrete thing, plaster business, and you kink and you stick a peg into that wall, it's going to hold, but you've just kind of ruined that wall, right? So what they would do is when they're building the house, at the foundation of the house, at the creation of the house, they would say... We're going to hang stuff here, 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 and here. And so you would build in the wood, in the original creation of the house, you would build hangers. And they would build things in the house that would, you would hang stuff on later on. Since it was a part of the house, it wouldn't fall. It wouldn't come loose. So remember I said this king, the first king, he didn't deserve it. This other guy that comes in is like a peg stuck in the wall. He's not originally there. He's not there from the origins. He's not there from the foundations. The Lord is. So the Lord's saying, here I am. Trust in me. I've been here since the foundations. I'm the hook in the wall that's built in. Not this artificial come later hook in the wall. And that's what Isaiah is saying through this. That this new king, he's going to wipe out the other guy and the other guy's a disgrace. But this guy is going to look, he's going to be a fake too. And when you put the glory on him and you put attention on him and you put the weight of all these things on him, he's going to break. Because the Lord who has been here from the beginning wants, wants your attention. That's who you should hang. You don't hang your coat on. Um, I mean, this happens all the time at our house because we have plaster walls and you drill a hole in the wall and you put the screw in and you can hang the shelf there and it lasts about a week and you hang stuff too long and all of a sudden it rips out of the wall and it falls. It's very similar to this, right? Um, Even God, even, even the people that God put in place to replace this evil guy Everybody gives glory to that guy and not glory to God. And so even that guy is going to fall and be destroyed. So with that, let me read this section again. Now that we we know, oh, gosh, I'll fasten him like a peg in a secure place. He will become a throne of honor to his father's house. So it's not that he's doing a bad job. He's just not the right one. They will hang on him the whole honor of his father's house, the offspring, issue, every small vessel from the cups to all the flagons. They're hanging everything on this guy. He is the best. He is great. He's so much better than that last guy. Glory to this guy. Uh Oh, it will be cut down and it will fall. It will give way and the load that was on it will be cut off for the Lord has spoken. So God's saying, just because I ran off this other guy and I gave you another leader, I needed that guy run off. You're still worshiping all these men. Don't worship men. Worship God. Worship God. So it goes through some other stuff about um, how they're partying and, and, and how they're not listening to the Lord and who they need to consider. And I want to skip Way down to this one last thing the day of the Lord. There's a lot of places in Isaiah where he talks about the day of the Lord. Remember the whole thing through Isaiah, God is just saying, Call out to me. If you call out to me, I will hear, I will heal, I will listen. This is in verse, uh, chapter 24, verse 21. On that day, the Lord will punish the host of heaven. These are the angels. These are the the rebellious angels that God's going to punish. On that day, the Lord will punish the host of heaven in heaven and the kings of the earth on the earth. They will be gathered together as prisoners in a pit. They will be shut up in a prison. And after many days, they will be punished. Then the moon will be confounded and the sun ashamed. For the Lord of hosts reigns on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, and His glory will be before His elders. There's a time coming that God will destroy everything evil. That every single lie that's ever been believed in, that's ever been spoken, even the lies that nobody believed, are going to be wiped out. And the picture the picture that Isaiah paints here is the way um, kings, they might capture a prisoner. And if you had a really notable prisoner, oh, this is going to be good. You would keep that prisoner in prison until just the right day. And um, thankfully, we don't have anything like this in our culture. But, um, you know, Oh, okay, here we go. When a couple gets married, they take the little top of their wedding cake off, right? And they freeze it. Why do they do that? It's not going to taste any good. But on their one-year anniversary, they get it out of the freezer and they eat it. Freezer burnt, cake topper. This is a lot better last year. Shove it in her face. Move on. Food fight, all that. In the same way, the Lord is keeping things for a certain day. And so when we see terrible stuff happen, when we see terrible things happen in the world, and we're like, how is that possible? How is that okay? We can be encouraged that someday everything evil is going to get what is coming to it in a mighty, mighty way. And the Lord is just like, you know what? I can totally annihilate that. But now is not the best time for my glory for me to annihilate that. Isn't that wild to think about? That the Lord's patience and the Lord's wisdom would would wait until a better time to totally annihilate everything. So these prisoners are in a pit. And after many days, they will be brought out and punished and destroyed. Death will be destroyed. Sin will be destroyed. All of it. Um, I want. I want to. I don't. I want to stop. But um, there's a day that's coming. So this is encouragement and caution and urgency to us, right? Because people don't believe that. People don't believe. You know, they think everything's going to be okay. And yes, for God's glory, everything's going to be okay, but you don't want to be against it. You don't want to be against God's glory. You don't want to be in rebellion against God's glory because everything is going to be okay for God and his people um, as represented in the scripture, not just vague. And so in the midst of all of this, just to, just to wrap it all up and put a bow on it, um, There is definitely a time and we can trust God. We can know that justice, justice and mercy in the wild way that God knows how to balance these things is going to be done. And we can have confidence and hope in that, which means that we don't have to do it ourselves. I don't have I would so much rather God bring justice than me bring justice. Right, Because I'm not going to do a very good job of it. I'm not very smart with justice. I'm not very wise with justice. But if I leave it to the Lord, the Lord will execute it in such a perfect way that all of the world will see His glory. All of the world will see His justice and they will see His mercy. Just like when God brought this guy and He made him a peg and everybody was like, Yes, now he's the guy. And God said, no, he's not the guy. Follow me. Turn to me. I'm the guy. And they hung everything on this guy. And God said, turn to me. Follow me. And then what happens? He collapses everything. That, it says everything that was hung on him collapses. Because in that day, God in his wisdom is going to make everything right, everything true, all for his glory. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. We praise you, Lord, that although all kinds of celebrities come and go, all kinds of great people come and go, that you remain the same and that we can trust in you. Jesus, we praise your name. We exalt you. We declare you as the Lord over all, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I pray that you would help us to really see your greatness and trust you and hang all of our hopes and to hang all of our success, to hang even our failures on you, Lord, because you will not give way and you will not fail. We praise you, Lord. Amen. All right. Let's stand and sing number 292 together. Um.